Hey y'all, before we get into this special episode with my new friend Maggie Rar, I have an announcement to make. As part of the Hear Tell podcast training initiative developed by Visual Arts Nova Scotia, I'll be doing a presentation on how I discovered the voice for the Art Pays Me podcast. You can hear how you can develop the right voice for your show. You get to ask me a bunch of questions and I'll do my best to help you out and answer back. Then after that, you get to listen to Megan Black talk about how the Canadian Craft Federation produced a slick 10-episode run of the Citizens of Craft podcast, where all expenses were covered through grants, sponsorships, and partnerships. Shit. <laughs> I might need to bring my notebook for that one. Yo. <laughs> Give me some money, man. The event takes place on Tuesday, June 30th at 2 p.m., that's in 2020 for you time travelers out there, and that's 2 p.m. Atlantic time. Visit visualarts.ns.ca to register. And if you're black, indigenous, or person of color, message me to learn more about free registration. Peace. What up, artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity, and, you know, maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today, we have Maggie Rar. So, Maggie, I came across Maggie on... Social media, I say, because I think we were, I was looking into some local podcasts and things like that, and people were raving about the uh, what happened to Holly Bartlett podcast. So I was like, "Let me see who this person is." And then I was like, "Oh, <laughs> like so many other people I've interviewed on here, I love their Twitter account." And uh, here we are, and <laughs> yeah, to get to know them better. So Maggie, what exactly is it that you do? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a real treat. Um, yeah, so I'm a freelance investigative journalist in Halifax, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. All right. And so what, what does investigative journalism mean compared to, say, like, journalism? Is, that, is right. there a difference? Totally. So you think about, like, you know, the news, if you're watching the news, so... Um, like covering the protests that took place outside Park Lane for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. That that's like your daily news coverage. But investigative journalism would be like um I'm trying to think of a good example. It's something that requires a lot more investigation, right? So it's like all of the data that ended up coming out about the street checks before of the Halifax Regional Police against black and brown people and indigenous people in um I mean, that's not how it's logged in their system, but in Halifax, that's the kind of story that you would consider investigative journalism. So a lot of the time it has to do with like accessing documents and building relationships with sources so they can trust you to tell you what they've observed or what they know. And then you're able to produce um, like a locked down piece of journalism that in which you can, you have supporting evidence for the story that you're trying to tell, basically. 
Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time it takes a really, it takes a long time <laughs> to do this kind of work because, um, yeah, it takes a long time to build trust and it takes a long time to get that documentation. It feels like you're almost like a Nancy Drew or a detective or <laughs> something like that. It's- yeah. Um, a friend of uh, a friend of mine the other day coined the term trauma reporting. Uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, that sounds accurate because a lot of the time when uh, people come to me, it's like something horrible has just happened to them or has happened to them. And they're trying to find a way to, to yeah. get their story out. And yeah. How did, how, like what drew you to that? Cause I was thinking about that too. Like a lot of it is heavy and I'm sure um, it must take some kind of an emotional toll and, there's got to be some kind of self-care practice built in there to help deal. Like what, what drew you to something like this? Well, I mean, I just wanted to be a reporter, right? Like I started working at CBC when I was 19 as um, on like the weekend morning show, (laughs) you know, I was just like going to take any job I could to just get into the newsroom. So that, yeah, I'm 37 now. So that started whatever, I guess, <laughs> almost 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then I had two kids. So it was like, I can't really do the daily grind anymore of, you know, um, like showing up at the site of, uh, you know, like a murder victim's family's home or whatever, you know, like you have children and it changes you. And it's like, I, I just felt like I couldn't do that anymore, gotcha. even though there is a way to do it with dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ironically, I've kind of like ended up in this space where I'm now a lot of the work that I do focuses on like, um, injustice and sexual violation and, um, like failure by bodies of authority, be it like police or the government or, you know, cert or whatever. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it is heavy. And it, it's interesting you ask about self-care cause like, to be totally honest with you, I'm only just really starting to think about that now in the midst of this pandemic. Cause I have, I'm like home taking care of my children and, you know, trying to work and it's, yeah, I've never had this much time to like sit with it and actually unpack like how to absorb this and handle it and keep going forward. Yeah. So it's definitely a work in progress. Like I'm not really sure. <laughs> but how, what to do, but it's become clear definitely in the last couple months that like, I have to develop some kind of self-care practice. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure that out. Right. Like, so actually, how have you been dealing with the homeschooling and having that side? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Well, to be totally honest, like I, I pretty much, um, my ex and I, we co-parent together and have like a good situation. Um, I basically told him like a week or two in that I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my eight-year-old son is on the spectrum and uh, he just, the idea of like sitting down in front of a screen and engaging with, even though he like loves his teacher and has some buddies in his class and all of this, like he just couldn't connect. Yeah. So he'd be like flopping around on the couch and asking for toast. And frankly, I was like, I get it. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, we're all we wanted, you know, you're stuck at home. You just want to have another snack and like not engage too deeply with anything because yeah. So basically, and then I wrote a letter to his teacher and also to my daughter who's in primary. So she's, you know, five years old. She went off for March break and basically never went back to school. Right. Basically. It's the yeah. same thing. You know, it's like you jump on these zoom calls and there's like 
25 year olds and she's looking at me like, why would I do this? Mm-hmm. And I have no answer to that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, to be a little bit more uh, like on a more serious note, I basically just feel like explaining to children what a pandemic is and then coping with that is a fucking really serious education. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to take on. So I feel like that's enough, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, even just the idea about like going on a walk around the block and you're somebody oncoming and to teach them that they had to physically move their bodies, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're only just getting into it now where I could take them out and not worry about that. Yeah. Cause one of them is like a real like heel dragger and the other's really fast. She's always like bolting away from me. So the idea of like walking in tandem together and getting them to like shuffle onto the grass if somebody's coming, which they're pros at now, but in the beginning, like even that was really stressful, you know? Right. Right. So, I found in my neighborhood, my neighbors were not moving <laughs> and yeah. my daughter's like in those, in the woods, like, like, trying- yeah, in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Is like my parents don't mean to stay away, so I'm trying to stay away. Like, yeah. yeah how, are, how are you finding it with your kids? Like, I mean, it's so surreal, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's been crazy. So I'm interested. It's interesting on my end. So both my wife and I are working from home. My wife's actually a right. vice principal. So, oh man. Yeah, and I teach, and she teaches as well. So she's also having to manage a class room periodically and deal with the different dynamics of uh making sure that our kids are doing on on track so um also like it highlights the dearth of um inequity in the education system right now because you know it would be easy for her to, well, not easy because none of this is easy, but yeah. she intentionally has avoided doing all digital things or all, not all digital, but like all things that sort of require a higher level of technology than everyone in the class could have access. Totally. To because yeah. Because there are kids who just don't have access to that. Um, their parents only have a cell phone with a data plan and that's as high tech as they get. Yeah, or forget about it if there's like many children in a home that are all sharing one screen expected to do, you know, their work. Yeah. I, I got to give it up for teachers because honestly, like that first Zoom call that my five-year-old was on, seeing her teacher try to like adapt and lead, like you can picture it, like 18 literal five-year-olds. Yeah. And in fact, all the other kids were like sitting there and listening and answering and unmuting. And my daughter was like all over the place. Yeah. But I just have so much respect for her, like this teacher who it's it's such a, a radical shift from the work that they normally do. So I can only imagine what, you know, it's been like for your partner to be, for your wife to be like managing in this time. I just got to give like a huge shout out to yeah. teachers because what a, like an unexpected and kind of horrible shift. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a completely and different. And complaints from parents, like, oh my god! Right. At one point, these parents were jumping in on the Zoom call, being like, "I don't, I think this content is too intense for this age group," and blah blah blah. And I was like, "Email her. What are you doing? Like, you're cutting into the meeting with all these kids. Like, and the yeah. and this teacher is like doing such a good job trying to respond, and but like, what a shit show, you know? Oh, completely, 
completely. And, you know, it's just, they, they know it's not ideal. So it's, it's kind of hard. And I, and they understand the frustration because like a lot of them are also parents too. So they're dealing with the frustration. And my oldest daughter, her class has been more or less online from the start. So they really didn't adjust that much. Uh, And their teachers like, yeah, very she's a little much. older, right? So it's like grade six or something. Yeah. So yeah, she's like on that cusp of junior high. So a lot of what they did was is just um, updating stuff online anyway. So it's just right, yeah, right. No, we're just completely there. Hmm. Um, it it could have been at times very. Uh, the deadlines were still strict, and sometimes right. like, you know, pandemic. People yeah, maybe like slacking the rope a little. <laughs> honestly all we're doing is like the main thing that happens around here is the kids run laps around the house like that's the top activity and i'm not even joking (laughs) but you know what and i i can't blame you and like you know even my wife being on the educational side like she gets it too like there's just not everyone is able to to do to deal with this stuff in the same way so no yeah um, it's just, you got to let people be where they are. She has like yeah. some people in her class who just aren't able to, to participate as much as others. And it's, it is what it is. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like my ex and I, the father of my kids were both journalists and mm-hmm. it's basically like, I had this real moment of vindication at the beginning of this because he called me once and was freaking out. He had the children that day and he was like, this is impossible. Like I literally can't do this. And I was like, what's that again? <laughs> Cause I've been like taking care of the kids and reporting this whole time. Right. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's right. It's like completely impossible. Yeah. And they're too old to nap now. So it's not even like you get a two hour break or whatever. Yeah. In fact, my dad popped over for a visit in the backyard yesterday and he was like, can't you make them nap? And I was like, make them nap. Make them like, nap. Yeah. I, <laughs> you had five children. You should know better. <laughs> Like that just doesn't work. Even if I'm like, I, you know, all questions need to be held for the next five minutes. Like I just need to finish this thing I'm working on. It's like machine gun of like, mama, 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 mama. Like they just can't help themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not going to lie. It's my, yeah, it's been very, I think my wife has definitely taken a lot more of the lead in the education side. Right. And I'm like, cause like we're both working from home. We're both, both in the same room, but like they keep asking her questions. They ask me the same question. I end up being more tech support because I like, I can figure out the computer <laughs> stuff, but the class right. stuff, I'm like, I'm sorry, but you gotta have to. Yeah. Your, your have mother. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's the way like every relationship, especially with parenting has its breakdown of like, not breakdown, meaning falling apart, but breakdown of like, these are your skills that you, that work really well, like with this kid, even like sometimes yeah. it goes like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she, she definitely, I have to give her props. She's definitely like, she noticed when they fell behind in their work. And I thought, I asked them if they did the work, they said they did the work. She's like, I actually didn't do the work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, you checked. (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, you got to actually check. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) My bad. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So actually, Maggie, where'd you grow up? 
I grew up in Halifax. Oh, okay. Yeah, I grew up on cool. Allen Street, which is just like one behind Quinpool. All right. Cool. Just like walking around <laughs> the city. What kind you know, of kid were you? Were you like a shit disturber? Like as a kid? Yeah. Um, hmm. Yes and no. <laughs> I think as a really little kid, I was like very um, like chatty and earnest and had a million questions and like quite a lot of intensity. Um, But I think I was like pretty rule abiding for the early years. Okay. And then, yeah, around like um, 10 or 11, I think it just started to dawn on me like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) I could probably be getting away with a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a big family, so I was one of five kids. So it wasn't like, you know, there was no laser focus on me at any point. Right. And um, so that provided me with like a lot of independence, actually, like that I wonder if my kids will get to have, you know, like, yeah. By the time I was my son's age, I was just like biking around the neighborhood, hanging out. Like I had a little um, like cassette player. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like listening to me, I'd go like sit under this tree and like listen to Paul Simon's Graceland or whatever, you know, and then nobody knew or cared where I was or what I was up to. It was just like, do your own thing and come home for supper, you know, like. I think about that too. Um, I was super independent or all of us were like, we just ran our neighborhood and did whatever the, basically how we wanted to do. And no one really, well, I shouldn't say whatever we wanted to do because we were more or less good kids, but like what we we could have we like i think about it all the time i'm like man yeah. we really could have ended up dead in the ditch and nobody yeah. would have a clue where we were what yeah. we were doing and i get, like for you as an investigative journalist do you like think about that like does that make you think twice about letting your kids kind of be more free or is it just I mean, the degeneration the, the ran yeah I don't know. I, I mean, I have been thinking about this a lot, but as I mentioned, so my eight-year-old Teddy, he's on the spectrum mm-hmm. and um, sorry, the cat just opened the door. That's what that squeak was. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you heard it. No. Um, yeah. So he, it's funny, like in the midst of this pandemic, he's pretty pumped because he just wants to stay home and read and like, he doesn't want to engage with the world. He's not into crowds, you know, mm-hmm. volume. Is, he doesn't like that. It's like any, you know, unexpected, uh, engagements with people. Like he's, he's learned a lot and he's come a really long way, but for him, the idea that it's like, and now we stay home and that's all we do. He's like, yeah, he like pumped and super into it. Um, so part of me is like, I wonder if, um, you know, he had a different personality if he would be more interested in like being out in the world. Whereas my daughter is like quite wily and (laughs) very independent. So I think as she gets a little bit older, she'll, she'll probably be more like me in that like pitter patter, let's get at her kind of way. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, like wanting to roam around, but where did you grow up? I grew up in Bermuda. Um, Mm. So uh, I I don't want to call it a suburb, but because Bermuda doesn't really have suburbs, but yeah, it kind of reminds me of just when you think about those neighborhoods where everybody knows each other, the, you know, I lived in my grandmother's house. So right. all the neighbors were her age. They all 
like built their houses around the same time. Right. And uh, they all knew my mom because my mom grew up in that same house. And so it was like that kind of place where if we got into any trouble, it was nothing for one of the neighbors to scream at us and be like, right. I'm going to tell your grandmother. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, mom. like actually the whole, like it's like the village or whatever, like everyone has eyes on you. Absolutely. Like, and yeah. Was the, it, it wasn't a childhood of like get outside kind of thing. Oh yeah, it was. And it was definitely later, like, that. It yeah. was get on your bike. We went, we, like I lived right by the ocean. So we'd fish, we'd go swimming. And that's the other thing. I'm like, we used to do this thing called, um, shallow diving and what that yeah. means is you get up on a high rock and like know that it's, it's intentionally shallow water and dive oh my into god how fucking stupid that is like if my kids, like, i know all i'm picturing is like fucking head injuries and freaking out you know right like but that and thing I, I, and it's like you're you know you just think like i can't be sunk and you're right. just gonna go for it Right. So it was all like, who can shallow dive the best? Meaning like make your body as horizontal as possible before you hit the water. So you don't hit the rocks or the oh ground. God, so <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I wouldn't do that now. <laughs> I would I, me not I, like, I'm like the stuff we did. I just, I shake my head. I'm like, just thankful that I, I <laughs> I'm alive and able bodied sometimes. Yeah. Um, no kidding. But yeah, but like we, we were kind of free to just to, to roam. And I think part of the reason they felt safe is probably because everybody knew each other. And um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a nice, nice upbringing. Yeah. 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 You were just reminding me talking about that uh, shallow diving of like, we used to spend summers in um, like outside Anaganish, my uh grandparents had this like shack of a cottage and we just go up there for the summer like all seven of us mm -hmm. and um my brother taught me how to like get under this bridge that was just down it's like a highway right like a rural whatever area yeah there's this river that like flowed out to the ocean and you know it's like these big tarry old like wooden posts and so you'd like climb over the like metal you know, thing that lines the edge of the highway yeah, and like scramble down this like wet, slick, tarry, you know, wooden post into this like shallow point. If you went there at the right moment in the tide, obviously. Yeah. And we weren't really doing anything. We're just like fucking around down there, yeah. you know, and then you like clamber back up. But I can't even picture my kids doing something like that, which makes me feel kind of sad. It's like, mm -hmm. would they get to go explore some weird physical location like that on their own. I don't know. You know, I don't know if they'd be motivated or if they would even get the opportunity. But like the other day I was saying to my son, like, Hey, before the pandemic, not the other day. Yeah. I was like, what if I like, you know, slipped you five bucks, you could go over to the gas station and get yourself a treat on your own and just come back and walk across the street. And he was like, maybe next year, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. he's not quite there yet, but I think if I made the same offer to my five-year-old, she'd be over there in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. She'd be excited. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're trying to just, we live out in Timberley, so we're okay. somewhat rural, I'd say. So yeah. part of the pandemic has just been, okay, for your physical activity, go outside and ride your bikes, go do something outside. Yeah. And they, you would think that would be easy, but they're like, no, they don't want to. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they could somewhat explore this neighborhood, in a similar way that I did, but they just, it's hard to convince them sometimes. 
I wonder if that's because like everybody's connected digitally now, you know, it's like you text your friend or you message your friend or whatever. Yeah. Whereas when we were kids, it was like, you just go outside and see who's around. True. Yeah, you would. You would you literally know, it's like you just go see. Literally like who's around, <laughs> you know, by the yeah. time I was 11 or 12, like we just walked downtown. Right. I'd like have a little backpack and like my Sony Walkman, you yeah. know, and like walk or skateboard downtown. And then it's like, who's around. And then you just right. hang out with whoever's around. Right. And it was kind of amazing. Like, cause you just knew you'd run into someone eventually. Like I used to hang out with all these punks who were like in the punk scene together and it was great. You just go down, see who's around, sit around, you know, maybe you'd go for a swim. Yeah. We go to pizza hut or skateboard. It was like nothing ever really happened, but you know, mm-hmm. we had total independence. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some somewhere along the line that that shifted. Yeah. Well, even like I was thinking, I have this friend Mara, and we used to call each other. You'd have to like call the newspaper, the Herald, the Chronicle Herald had this thing called the Herald Line. Yeah. Where you would like dial the number, and it was like for horoscopes, press one; <laughs> for weather, press two, or whatever. And you would call to get the movie times. So it's like movie times, press five, and it and wow. it would list off what was playing. So I call her or she'd call me and it'd be like, this thing's playing at six, four, like, I'll meet you there. And then you just like run down to the theater, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was talking about this recently too. Like if you stood someone up back then, it was a fucking insult. There was oh, no like texting I'm late or, yeah. or like bailing at the last minute. It's like, I'll meet you tomorrow at the fountain in park lane yeah. at 2 PM or whatever. And then if you don't show up, it's like, what is this person? Okay. I'm going to call their mom. You know what I mean? Oh Yeah. Oh man, I, I just it took me back to university days having some dates with girls and they just like don't show up and you're like, what? No one had cell phones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it, I don't have a cell crazy. phone. I don't have, it was just it was crazy. It was it was a whole different. Or even like the idea of traveling somewhere without Google Maps, you know, yeah. like that you just you get somewhere. I was telling my friend the story about the first time I went to New York the other day. And it was like, I had all these record stores that I wanted to go to. Yeah. And I fucking got lost trying to find every single one, like fully lost. I had no experience being on a subway or anything. You know, yeah. I was too proud to ask for help. <laughs> like, you know, didn't want to look like an idiot or whatever. Yeah. And eventually I did find this uh, one record shop, which I by chance bought what became like my favorite album ever. Mm-hmm. But, um, which is why I was telling the story to my buddy the other day, but it's like, yeah, fuck, how weird is that? That there was no, and now you can just like pop it in the address and it'll tell you exactly where to go. How many minutes it'll take you walking or on the subway or by bus or driving, you know, like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. We're, we're completely in a different world. I, I drove, I remember in university, we drove to Montreal with no Google maps or anything like that. Just a paper yeah. map. Yeah, yeah, or it's like waiting for the next sign that says Montreal with a fucking arrow, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Insanity. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> man, so let's talk about um, the podcast. Okay. Holly Bartlett. So how did you come across that? How did that come about? So I actually um, was approached by, there's this local production company called Ocean Entertainment. Okay. And they had done like, some other uh like true crime ish series for television right mm. and um the director of this uh program who was like gonna do the tv show 
got a hold of me and was like, we're looking for a journalist to be on camera and it would be great if it was a woman. And I was like, no, wrong number. Like straight up just <laughs> said no. I was like, I don't do TV. This is a bad idea. You don't want me, like, I'm not gonna, I won't be able to like follow your instructions. If I just, if I join, it, it'll be a headache for you. Like you don't. Mm. And she was like, okay, well think it over and I'll get back to you. And I was like, think it over. I'm like what the fuck is going on here? Anyway, I told them no. Yeah. And so then she called me back and she was like, well, how, how do you feel about just doing some research for us? And I was like, absolutely. Cause that's like a side hustle that I do to make my print habit <laughs> affordable basically. Uh-huh. So, um, I had this meeting and I went in and, uh, they were like, okay, so the family's on board. First of all, Holly Bartlett was this like really, um, well-known beloved like young woman who you know how it is in Halifax like everyone kind of knows everyone even though the city's changed a lot even in the last decade um and even since she died but like she was a real like gal about town you know Mm -hmm. and since I worked on this I actually ended up finding out that I have like three friends that a couple that went to St. Evex with her and like other people that knew her from working in the government or whatever like we probably would have met eventually it was one of those you know Yeah. yeah like everyone has those people where you meet and then it's like, holy shit, how have we never connected before we've both been living in Halifax the whole time? Yes, exactly. You know, yeah. those weird ones that like every now and again that happens. Yeah. Anyway, so I go in for this meeting to talk about the research and they're like, the family's on board. They had all this documentation. Like they had her autopsy report. They had police documentation because they got it through the family. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God. And I just kind of got sucked in because they all, they already had so much on the go. Yeah. And so I thought I was going to walk out of that meeting. Like I booked a babysitter to cover my kids for me while I was at this meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, they were like, okay, well, here's the office that you'll be working in right down the hall. And I was like, oh shit. I had to call my babysitter and be like, can you stay for the rest of the day? Cause they were like, and now you work here basically. Just like that. Yeah. And then, and then they eventually, it came out that they wanted to do a podcast and I basically begged them. I was like, please let me do that. Cause my background is in radio. Mm-hmm. And I I love podcasts. It's basically like spoiler, it's just radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was like, please let me do this, and they were like, like they they said yes. So I got to write the the podcast episodes. But it was a bit of a weird setup because they were doing the TV series, which I was a researcher for, and then ended up being in the show. But then I mm-hmm. had free reign to kind of like build the podcast how I wanted to with all of the tape that some of it had been gathered before I even joined the team. Um, But yeah, it's like, you you know, you have so much more time. Each episode was like 45 minutes long or whatever. So yeah, that way we got to like know the family and really understand, hopefully, you know, like what, what that loss was like for the Bartlett's like what, and and the fight that they had to try to figure out what the fuck happened, you know? Yeah. I I should have asked about language, by the way, I'm a real, uh, salty <laughs> talkers. Okay. Sorry about that. I, I I don't have a I don't have an anti curse thing. Anti curse. No. Other no. than like curses, like I cast a spell on you. <laughs> None of those curses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's the uh, cultural cultural thing for me. Oh yeah, um, no curse word. I grew up with that too in Nova Scotia. It's like don't curse uh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I used to be on another podcast and we swore a lot on that yeah. one. And then my mom listened to it and she was like, I like it, 
but the, the language. language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, sorry, mom. Uh, and then with this one, I'm to me, I'm a believer in just let it go where it goes. I'm not going to yeah. censor anyone. Uh, but I just don't. I think because the other one was more pop culture and I was more like my guard was was down. Right. Now it was like chit chat versus like in-depth conversations. About people. Yeah. Yeah. Like now I'm trying to be like fake journalist. <laughs> so. OK. Um, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, fuck it. Like I said, I've bombed fly. <laughs> fuck I'm it. A, I'm a, I'm a, like I, I curse a lot in my in my normal yeah. world. Yeah, it's me just, too. It's, it's I just what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? It's too late. I can't like get a new personality or like develop new instincts. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, you know what I mean? And then I heard people who like swear are, you know, intelligent. So, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So um, I didn't know there was an actual TV show uh, yeah. about that too, actually. And, and actually, I want to say, I don't want to creep you out, but you have an amazing voice. Oh, thank uh, you. Like, listening to it, I was like, oh, man, Maggie, jeez. Um, Appreciate that. <laughs> it had some major benefits as a kid, because when you have a really deep voice, it's like, you know, my dad used to work out of our house. He was a mortgage broker. So he had like a phone upstairs, you know, but it was like the same family line or whatever. Yeah. And uh, do you remember that thing where you could make the phone ring in your own house? Yes. It was like star five, whatever. And then you'd wait for a dial tone and it was like, like dial up sounds or whatever. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. So I, you could do that. And I would pretend to be calling for my dad. <laughs> Like when I was my kid's age, like eight years old, I'd be like, oh, Nick, it's Barry. I'm calling about the files. And he'd be like, okay, Barry, like what files? And then I would like lose the thread because they didn't have the next line of my prank. And he'd be like, Maggie, God damn it. Like he'd figure <laughs> it out, but I could, I could do it for like the first line or whatever. And then, yeah, it helped a lot when I worked at CBC in the beginning because, you know, you're calling, it's like, even just that idea, like you could pick up the phone and call anyone. It's like, I want to talk to the deputy minister of justice you know, even though like I'm a kid, they don't know that. Right. Yeah. And it does help to have like a, a really deep voice because people think like, I remember what's going down to the legislature, the provincial legislature. And there was a politician who, uh, I'd interviewed a bunch of times, but when see, he'd never seen me. So we were like standing face to face and he was kind of giving me this, like, who the fuck is that look? And then when I started talking, he was like, Oh my God, it's you. Like I, he hadn't put it together. So it is kind of like a superpower. I have to say. <laughs> yeah yeah um that's interesting i was gonna go into i mean i was thinking more just your voice i just liked your voice but do you think it's like some kind of gender bias thing where people are like oh i trust you more because you sound like absolutely a man. yep totally 100 percent. Huh. definitely it's like you know i mean you still hear about all that it's like if there's a new um like a fill-in host on, you know, one of the morning or afternoon shows on CBC radio, the all over Twitter, it, there's, it's always the same bullshit. You know, it's like people complaining about like the uptick in inflection or whatever. And I've known women who are journalists who have like worked really hard to change their voices basically, which wow. fucking breaks my heart that it's like, you have to, cause it's enough to prepare your questions and like try to be in the moment and, 
especially if you're interviewing someone live, right? Like you, I've never been an anchor <clears throat> or a host or anything like that, but like mm. you have to invest all of your focus in like listening to what this person is saying and responding in the moment and picking up if they like, you know, lead a certain way, then you want to like really zero in on that moment and make sure that the conversation is as fulsome as it can be. Yeah. And if you had this background thought of like, don't sound like this or don't sound like that. I mean, you know, I've also had some black colleagues who have talked about like learning to quote unquote talk white, which I'm embarrassed to say that I'd never heard about right until adulthood. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's shattering the idea that you'd have to like change the way that you speak to be taken seriously. What the fuck? Like that is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and all of that effort that it's like that energy could be better spent elsewhere. Like people deserve to have the full capacity of their minds to focus on their work. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think when you're forced to do another job like that, that's invisible, that's happening Mm -hmm. all the time in a way it's like, it makes you more powerful because people don't, it's like you, you are multitasking and you're already managing so much more than what's visible on the surface. Right. Yep. Yep. There's uh there's the, the constant code switching. So it's uh, yeah. for me, it's, it's interesting. Um, Bermuda is a very conservative uh, Island and it's still a British colony, like still kind of yeah, literal colony, still like literally a British colony, like Canada, you know, likes to claim the queen. I don't, I still don't fucking understand that. Fuck that shit but bermuda right. literally right. still it's like for what so we could pay for your fancy fucking vacations when you come here why i know right you live in a fucking castle <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> you know like yeah. <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to get it go ahead no I, I yeah i just i never understood that shit like i just i don't and my you know my mom's a fan of the royals and all that stuff which whatever but like you know um i think it's a generational thing you know yeah Right. I don't know anyone even remotely close to my age that's like, yeah, the Royals, Yeah, you know? I mean, I'm all about Meghan Markle, though. It's like Same run here. for your life, <laughs> you Same know? Here. Same here. Uh, I, but, like, I don't – but I'm a better because of the way that she's handled herself in this nightmare situation. Yeah. Not It's not because of, like, oh, because of my pre-existing interest in the Royals. Now I care about Meghan Markle. Like, I don't think I even really knew who she was before. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you see and hear about this fucking bullshit that she has to endure. Yeah. And when they got, and when they were like, we're out, I was like, yes, Megan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like, I don't blame them at all for for saying like enough is enough. Like, <sighs> no. And they already made that really unprecedented move where like Prince Harry put this release out uh, to the media. Cause the British tabloids are like, it's horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. They just stalk them. Yeah, And, you know, you could argue that, like, that's the reason that his mom is dead. Like, princes die being fucking yeah. chased, you know, like, and yeah. and having their lives just be, like, every little minute that they're literally being stalked, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they put all these headlines, uh, you know, side by side where it's, like, how Kate Middleton was treated during her pregnancy versus how Meghan Markle was. And it's, like, the, the exact same headlines. And one of them is being treated like garbage and you know who it is yeah 
anyway, so they put a release out at some point saying like, basically back off. And Mm -hmm. in the second or third paragraph, they use the term racial undertones or overtones or whatever, which Mm -hmm. was like shocking language for them. Right. Like a huge deal that they even did that with like the, on the stamp of, you know, Buckingham Palace, like letterpress or whatever it's called, you know? And then of course it didn't work. They just completely ignored it. And then, yeah. But I think it's amazing that they got out. It's like, have your life. You don't have to fucking, all, all of that. It's a bunch of noise and mess. It's, yeah. it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I was joking the other day on Twitter. I'm like, thank God she got out before the pandemic. I know, right? Like, she's, yeah. But like, yeah, I was saying that because, um, you know, it's kind of conservative. We wore uniforms and we went to school and right. we kind of trained from like the age of five to just always be polite, always be respectable, always be um, knowing, you know, it's always good morning, it's always good afternoon. There was no calling adults by the first name. Everybody was Mr. Everybody was Mrs. Unless they were a close family friend and they were aunt or uncle. And, right. Um, Would you really say good afternoon? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like good afternoon, Mr. Whatever. Yeah, like good afternoon, oh. Mister Whatever. You walk into a barber shop, you say good afternoon, everyone. You walk into a room. Oh, that's so formal. Like yeah, you were. Ex- it's like expected of you. Um, you were ex- like standing up, giving up your seat in the bus. It wasn't like a suggested thing. It was an expected thing. So yes, yes. Um, all these kind of formal things, to me, are in some ways are great. In other ways sometimes when you start getting older you are expected to do these things in certain settings and even like you mentioned with changing the way you speak and you're encouraged Mm -hmm. to I mean you couldn't get rid of the Bermudian accent in Bermuda because everyone has it but like you'd be considered (laughs) to um reduce your your slang or yeah in in a way I guess and I started right, like to, always favor the formality. Yeah. And I started to get a sense that is this like performance for white people? Is that what this is about? Or is, is this colonizers? You know? Yeah. It, it starts to make you think that is that what this is about? And um yeah. Anyway, yeah, I kind of went off the rails with that one. No, no, it's all good. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting. It's interesting. So I, I noticed on, online sometimes you're like critical of police and even like, you know, the cab driver situation here yeah. where we've had these sexual assaults in cabs and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Has your investigative journalism impacted your views of, of these things or were you just kind of like skeptical in, in general? Absolutely. But the crazy thing is that it goes both ways. So Mm -hmm. on the one hand, it's like, yes, the corruption, and I will use that word, is like undeniable. So, you know, we, it's not just the police department. It's Nova Scotia is a racist, misogynist province. Like that's our foundation, right? Mm -hmm. And homophobic, transphobic, like all of the bad things, you know, like we're (laughs) our specialty. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so it's like the more you pull on that thread, the more that you discover, like, you know, one of the cases that I reported on this year um, involves this woman, Carrie Lowe, who was like abducted and raped. And 
who, unlike the majority of victim, most victims and or survivors of sexual assault, she went to police and had total faith that like they were going to investigate and do this. Mm-hmm. And she was the one that was like, had agency and was following up and really believed that they were going to have her back and, you know, get these guys who did this. Yeah. And then a year and a half later, after all these delays and miscommunications and just really awful, like she had to provide her video statement on four separate occasions. There were all these shifts in the officers that were assigned to her case. Like it really fucked her up really, Mm -hmm. really badly. Yeah. And then a year and a half later, she comes to find out that like the guy who was assigned to her case, the, the very first investigating officer who she thought was responsible for all the delays was actually going to bat for her and that it was the unit that was like telling him to shut it down, literally saying, shut it down. And then after her story broke in the news and she ended up having this case in the courts, um, which is too complicated to explain now, but for all intents and purposes, like her story became public and this guy reached out to her, the cop and was like, I want to meet you in person. And he apologized and explained that like he, you know, did his best and that he was really trying to go to bat for her Mm. and to learn that like they were both being fucked over, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so on the one hand, it's like, yes, there are like generations deep fucking problems in our police and our CMP detachments across this province that need to be addressed immediately. Like look no further than the mass shooting to understand that like they were warned about this guy. And we know that people who commit mass murders are almost always white men. They're almost always, they almost always have a history of intimate partner violence or domestic violence Mm -hmm. that was known. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they go on to do this. And in this case, the RCMP knew that this guy, like they'd have reports that this guy was like violently attacking his partner mm-hmm. um, and doing all kinds of horror. You know, I don't know if you read that bit about how he, it, like they were at a party once in port pic and um, she wanted to leave and mm-hmm. he didn't want her to leave. So he like slashed the tire. It was like he removed the tires off the car and threw them in a ditch. Like, crazy abusive shit that there's no wiggle room there it's like red flag you know that's not normal behavior in any like no and if you if you knew someone that was like even a good friend if you saw them doing that you'd be like uh a word (laughs) you know like anyway so on the one hand it's like the closer you look the worse it is yeah but on the other hand i there are and i'm not a cop apologist like as you say i'm publicly very critical about once I get the facts, you know, mm-hmm. I have no fear in, in saying like, you fuck this up and this is egregious and it needs to be addressed immediately. Mm-hmm. But there are good cops. Yeah, there are. And I have sources who are like, I rely on them for information and we trust each other. And I yeah. know yeah. that they are trying to do their best in a broken system. So it's complicated, mm-hmm. like everything, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I feel the same. I, I actually have um, a good friend who's a police officer and I know people who are, have partners who are in the police and it's, 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 um, it sucks for them in this situation because uh, it's, you, you, you are, it's, the system is broken and it's, um, it's hard to, to function in a broken system. And when you're 
in that it's uh yeah what do you think about officers kneeling at these protests for George Floyd and for and for all black and indigenous people that are murdered by by police uh makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> everything's in that answer uh. <laughs> okay so i'll tell you i look i appreciate the sentiment of solidarity so i'll put it that way i'm i'm very much a person of i look at what someone's intention is sometimes yeah. people try to do things and it just doesn't turn out right so yeah. i i look at it okay i think they're intentionally trying to show solidarity so mm-hmm. i think that's a good thing where it it puts me off is George Floyd was murdered because a cop kneeled. So seeing you guys kneel doesn't make me feel good. And it's so weird that it's like that visual image. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, is it, is it not? I can't, I just can't believe it's lost on them. That It's like, that is the exact physical placement that was the most recent in this like unending string of fucking violent, murders yeah yeah it's um so i'm like it's kind of in like a. but you're trying to take a nuanced lens and be like what do they like you're actually thinking about the complexity of what it would be like to be an officer yes to me and that's the thing that sucks about me to be honest i hate that about myself but i love it at the same time i'm i have the ability to see multiple perspectives and sometimes i see people like being very strong in one way. And I almost wish I could be that strong and just say, how like, can you hate yourself for that? That's amazing. You, I mean, I know what you mean though. It's like, it, are you thinking like, it would be easier if you could just have, if it was like, fuck the police, that's it. Exactly. I wish because in some ways it almost, it, I think my perspective could be perceived as being a police apologist or mm. uh, a white apologist or, or whatever you want to call it apologist because I really, tr- I just have the ability to see, or at least I try to have the, I try to see things from other people's perspective and not just automatically assume the worst, but I do see what's actually happening. So, you know, I do, th- I do believe the system is systemically racist. I do believe because uh, anti-blackness is embedded in not just Canada and Bermuda as well, because I experienced it there, in the U.S., obviously, and in my friends who are international who said, yeah, yes. my parents would be pissed if I dated a black dude, you know, and that's because of anti-blackness. Is any, yes. you know what I mean? There's, that's, it's like in every scenario, you know, I, even, I had the chance to go to Tokyo when I was 17. Oh, wow. And uh, experienced anti-blackness there. Like, people mm. in my group were refused entry into the nightclub because they were black you know so stuff like that it's like when you're constantly reminded that everywhere in on earth people that look like you are considered the lowest bar yeah um you know when someone signs up to be a police officer they're likely coming in there with that same lens and then it's like how much are they being like, I think it's great that we're talking about psych assessments and all that kind of stuff for police officers. And because you just, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I'm just, I try to see the whole picture. I try to see the whole picture. Like, and there's, yeah. I, I don't need to have experienced negative um, 
interactions with the police to believe that the police need to do better. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, no, go ahead. That's a big barrier for like white people not getting it. You know, yes. is that it's like you can, you can't imagine what that's like. Yeah, it's like you have one conversation with one black person. I don't know. I I don't know anyone that hasn't had to deal with like, you know, fucking like being traumatized by police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, black people. I mean, it's like yes. And it starts in childhood. You know, it's like you spend t- t- 10 minutes talking to any black person in Nova Scotia about this. And there's no way that they haven't felt this and lived this. Mm-hmm. And that's the distinction is that white people are like, it's just like, you can't, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Tokyo. I, I got to go there once too on this trip that was paid for. Otherwise it never <laughs> would have happened. But yeah, I was using that as an example recently. It's like, you know, when you're anticipating going somewhere like on the other side of the world or whatever. And you can, you're like imagining what it's going to look like, what the food is going to be like, what it's going to feel like to be there. But none of that compares to actually being there. Yeah. And it's like, if you can't, you know, even begin to think about what that might be like for someone else, Mm -hmm. then, you know, then your chances of understanding are fucking diminishing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think in, in terms of, yeah, that being a good thing for me, maybe is, is that because I choose to see other people's perspective because I'm like, maybe I've experienced people not being empathetic. Like you said, like a lot of white people saying, well, this hasn't happened to me or I would never think that, or I would never do that. So therefore it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, I, it's, I mean, I, first of all, okay. I think, if you're the kind of person who I don't think you could choose to like think differently, you know what I mean? Like your brain is the way that it is and you're going to be like looking at everything with all these multiple lenses, but you know, you also get to like choose what you do with all that information. You know what I mean? And all of that nuance and all of that, like the well of like interpretive substance or whatever that you can like really see a picture in in it's like technicolor or whatever <laughs> you know what i mean yeah like in, in a multi-dimensional view of any given conflict let's say mm-hmm. but you still get to like say and do whatever the fuck you want about it i mean the thing that i'm really thinking about now that i hope i will hear more white people talking about is that it's not just ignorance to say like you know even people saying like, well, if they weren't rioting, then maybe people would listen. Or, you know, it's like all, all of Twitter saying like, somebody was like, what would Martin Luther King do if he were right. here now? It's like, well, they killed him. So, you know, <laughs> like, it, like this is the top example of like nonviolent leadership and let's join hands and, you know, like rooted in, in religion, right? Yeah. And peace. And, and they fucking killed him. <laughs> so like, what more evidence do you need that that doesn't fucking work? Yeah. But anyway, my, my point being that like white people are so quick to jump to saying like, well, if you did it differently or like police black reactions. And the thing that I haven't seen that I think is true is that that's like an inadvertent act of white supremacy. Oh, 100%. And it's like you, you can't examine your unearned power. Yeah. And the domination that you have, but you don't want to fucking lose it. 
Mm-hmm. It's like you uh, like being on top and you don't want to fucking go anywhere else. And it's like, what? That is what's terrifying is that it's driven by white supremacy. Like mm-hmm. I'm saying this to you, you obviously know this, but it's mm-hmm. like. No, but we're sharing it. This, this conversation is being shared. And I think some people need to hear it because they don't understand. Yeah. And I'm a white person, full disclosure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> fuck us. Like we fucked this up bad, <laughs> you know? And I think like, it's really scary to come out and say that you fucked up or that you said something wrong or whatever, but like, I'm, we need to learn how to do that. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I think yeah. So if anybody listening to this knows me and is like disagrees with what I'm saying or has questions, contact me. Do not contact your black friends, colleagues, coworkers. Don't do it. Bring <laughs> it to me. They're fucking tired. Yes, uh, exhausted, <laughs> exhausted. You know, yes. I think when you you say that too, I, that's a good point about um, their reactions. Is I think a big contributor to white supremacy is. Like I said, and actually it ties back to what I was going to with the conservativeness in Bermuda is that I've learned from an early on, early age to play the game um, mm. of how to be palatable to white people. You know? right. And there are times when I just don't give a fuck and I don't want to be. And uh, I'm going to dress the way I want to be. I'm going to speak the way I want to speak. I'm going to listen to my rap music and do what I got to do. And then there are times when I completely am buttoned down. I can wear the, the shirt and tie and I can yeah. speak. I got the master's degree. I, I can I can do all that. I can play the game. Um, yeah. But we shouldn't have to, you know? No, I mean? on like, your terms, you know? Yeah, you know? It's like because like, you want to. Right. I, mean, I think about that fucking effort and the labor that's been, it's like your whole life of doing that. Yeah. And that's what white people don't seem to understand. Right. Cause I'm like, I remember being like, I grew up listening to hip hop and you know, all of my friends did, we wore the baggy clothes and the big chains and yeah. stuff. And that's what we did when we, and then I came to like every I, other group of kids that, that fucking models their fashion on their music, like their musical heroes. That's, that's always that's, fucking happened. Exactly. Right? That's exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, I just remember being People either thought I was a drug dealer or assumed I was a tough guy. In Bermuda, I was an like unintimidating nerd. Came to Halifax, <laughs> all of a sudden I was like this intimidating dude. People were like telling me I'm scary. People thought I was a drug dealer. Like, and then I go into black community and they're like, You're like, I'm a child. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's 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 um it's insane. And then it you find yourself like I remember like being refused entry at the dome back when I used to go there all the time. Uh, they were like, they didn't like how long your shirt was. They didn't like that you had a, t- a do-rag on. And it's like, just these weird little microaggressions that you'd be hit with because you're not performing whiteness. Yes. At least in a way that is palatable to these people. It, it yeah. was like- that is exactly it. It's so insidious. Remember they had that fucking racist dress code that was, d- came out of that. Yeah. At the I, dome where it was like exactly that. It's like no do rags, no yep. th- like this and that. It's like, what the fuck? Like also yeah. the dome is such a shithole. Like how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It. This is it. And you know what? I was, 
I, and I've, I've evolved, let me put this, I've evolved since I was in that age group. Yeah, but okay, all, all, like, when you're 20, all you want to do is go have some drinks and dance and, with loud music. Like, that's just normal shit. Yes. But no, like, I was, I'm saying it from the perspective of, like, I was kind of elitist. I'll, oh. I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you that. Because I was, like, I had this, this whole uppity black guy thing where I was, like, these motherfuckers see me dressing like this, but they don't know I'm in university. I'm going to fuck shit up. When yeah, I'm smarter than you dummies. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now but I is be, that elitist or is it factual? I mean, who's to yeah, say? Yeah, it might be a little <laughs> bit of both, I guess. But I guess my whole thing is, is like, I I should have gotten respect whether I was in university or not. You know what I mean? Yes. No, that it was totally driven by racism, like yeah. plain and simple. That's all that was. Yeah. So um Ugh. man i'm glad we're having this conversation on here this is this is cool i'm so sorry as a white nova scotian it's like we've we're fucking ugh, god it's I'm but you sorry. know what as a man i have i i i'm a man so i i recognize i have privilege as a man too because so i can apologize on behalf of because <laughs> <laughs> we, we ain't shit either <laughs> there have been many times and you know what, like, it's so funny how racism and how like biases work and things like that, because I've been in situations where a person would be like, I'm not anti-black, like, I love black people, and then say something racist about an indigenous person in my presence and think I'm not going to check them on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or like, I've been in situations where uh, I'm sharing a, a car with a male driver. And then there was a woman that was in there. The woman gets out and then he automatically says some sexist shit. And I'm like, totally. Dude, like, seriously? Yeah. And they, you know, maybe because they see, um, I look like I play sports and I'm like your, your typical masculine looking dude that I'm going to just jump Rolled in. And <laughs> yeah. You know, and then it's crazy. Like even it, th- these are not, um, the same issues, but like, I, you know, it reminds me of people refusing to use they and them pronouns. Oh yeah. Which is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What does it cost you? It costs you nothing to just go. Okay. And, and guess what? Like you're going to trip up and make a few mistakes and whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. Just keep moving. Like as long as you're trying, you know, but, but the people that are literally like, I won't do that. It's like, man, you got, you bought into this, fucking binary big time big time and it, it there is a link back to that idea of white supremacy it's like who are you fighting for exactly mm-hmm. when you refuse to do this like who's bidding are you doing are, mm-hmm. are you even aware of that it's like the patriarchy motherfucker like rein it in <laughs> you know like it doesn't hurt anybody to just say, yeah, okay, they. I mean, it's not complicated. No, I don't. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's yeah. mind-boggling. Like, but like on that note, and I, I, I didn't intend to bring this up, but it kind of feels like here we are, so I'll launch in. So my little girl, my daughter, uh, who's five, is trans. And okay. she shared with us like her true self, basically like more than a year and a half ago. Okay. After what I like to say was like a generous trail of breadcrumbs. <laughs> okay. But you know, she was so tiny. It's like three, you know, four years old. It's like, I didn't want to impose anything on her 
that would enforce the binary, right? Because uh-huh. I was like, I don't know, like maybe what if she's just like gender nonconforming or whatever, right? Like, right, yeah. So my ex and I were like, well, we'll just follow her lead, right? And she'll, we'll figure it out. And she came out like so clearly. It was like, I am a girl. Really? And she said this every morning and evening for like a week. And then, wow. it, and then there's been no looking back and that's more than it'll be two years in October. And in the beginning, you know, certain family members who shall go unnamed were really bucking. Like it was difficult. And I was sending a lot of like letters and resources and, but also like, that's my fucking kid. You know, like I had to get my claws out a little bit to say like, if you cannot make an effort, use her new name, use her pronouns, then like you, you can't come around because it's not safe for her. You know, like literally our job is to protect her and love her. And this is all I ask, but I will say that there's one family member in particular who like really struggled with this. Mm -hmm. Who's come around who now is like, yep, no problem. Like pronouns, name, cute little girl, like secondhand clothes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's almost like a visceral reaction of no, Yeah. you know? And then when, when they can, I was having this conversation with another friend recently where it's like, it's not about, you can use all the charts and fucking stats and research and documents and whatever, but it's not that it's like, people need to feel it to get it. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you can feel it, then it's like, Oh, then there's like the, the yellow brick road of growth and evolution or whatever. But yeah, like it's just been really interesting to watch that process unfold, you know, Mm -hmm. and seeing someone come around to it. Yeah. So you really feel like they couldn't empathize. They, they just, or it felt like an attack. I think Uh, it felt like, it's like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, you know, and even before she shared with us that she was a girl, Mm -hmm. um, she would ask to wear dresses and I was always like, fuck yeah, whatever. Like, you know, especially when they're like preschoolers, come on, like mm-hmm. it, getting them to wear clothes at all is <laughs> a battle. But at one point, but people would always ask, why are you putting him then? Mm-hmm. Why are you putting him in a dress? And I was like, all I'm doing is not saying no. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Also, like, have you ever tried to make a three-year-old wear anything? Yeah. It's fucking impossible. <laughs> You know what I mean? And also, like, have you met me? Like, I'm not even, I'll wear a dress every now and again, but I'm not, like, you know. <laughs> it's not, like, super femme over here, like, look out. <laughs> kind of makes sense, eh? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. so, I, I don't know. It's, like, ugh, fuck, I really just hope after this protest on Monday, I, I, re- I really did walk home feeling, and I, like, had a big cry before I went to sleep. And yeah. But it's, like, I really there is a part of me that feels hopeful that isn't contrived that I'm not like pushing for or clinging to. It's like, I do, I am hopeful that Mm -hmm. people are going to fucking wake up and come around. And I am, you know, I really am. Yeah. And I hope, I hope we can start doing some of the work for you. Just recognizing that like black people have been fucking doing it the whole goddamn time. Mm -hmm. Share the burden, take on some of that weight for you. So you don't, die carrying it all around by yourself yeah 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 um i 
I'm so torn with all of this too. Uh, like I've had people ask like how they can be helpful and I'm grateful, but then at the same time, I'm not sure how to answer other than yeah. don't be racist and um, be nice to black people. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's like that thing that Lynn Jones, Lynn Jones said at the um, demonstration where she was like, I didn't create this problem and now you want me to come up with a solution for it? Yeah. Like, yeah. how the fuck does that math work? Yeah. You know, it's like, and I, I think that people probably do mean well when they're asking, what can I do to be helpful? But it's like, step one, don't ask. Like I was saying before, it's like, don't bring that to your, to your, to the people that you know and love and work with and whatever neighbors, whatever, who are black, who are already fucking so traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do pick up a fucking book. There's, you know, like, and I think even that is like, another you know layer of white supremacy is that it's like sometimes white people think asking is enough that 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 they've performed their duty and now give me a fucking cookie you know like i'm so good tell me how great i am instead of like no you gotta unlearn your own shit and stop being an asshole you know yeah like i don't know you saw what i posted on twitter right before this with um the new old followers (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I don't know. I was, I was gonna reply with the like eye roll emoji, and I was like, I'll just like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. I, maybe I should stop because I'm. I'm good. I'm getting bitter. But I'll just put it this way. Um, I have been talking. I don't consider myself an activist by any means, but I have been honest about how I feel about race when I'm asked, and mm. I share it in my art periodically. Yeah. And um, in 2018, I had an article that came out where I was asked about it. And I spoke on it candidly about my experiences as a black creative. And uh, the headline was unapologetically black in like big letters. I got all this hate mail, um, not hate mail, but like I, I got some hateful, some hateful comments and things like that. Some guy sent some rambling email about how terrible my work is and how I should go back to Africa if Canada's so bad and all this kind of stuff. Now, in 2020, everyone is like on this pro-black shit that I got like bashed for and so many of my contemporaries get bashed for. So so it's making my head spin a little bit. you know funny i'm just laughing because i hadn't really thought about it like that like that this explosion of like support whether it's performative or real would be like a lot to take in it's a lot it's a lot you know like i've been invisible for a long time and all of a sudden like i'm not invisible and or when i wasn't invisible and i was vocal about things it made people uncomfortable so they unfollowed me (laughs) <laughs> oh my god if i you just that if i, I you just made the like my, the hair on my arms raise if, I, if this were a story that would be the clip it's like that's it this thing happens sometimes when you're interviewing someone where they say something that's like so concise and clear and perfect and there's like a ting that yeah. goes off in my brain mid-conversation it was like that's the money right there <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go back and listen to it again <laughs> yeah 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 
yeah, it's, it's it. It's like, now all of a sudden they're asking for, for me to, to be vocal about it. And it's just, you know, where were yeah, you? Yeah, it's like, like another layer of exhaustion. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're so, like, I've been here the whole fucking time. Yeah. Like I'm trying, like, I hate, I, I don't really like it when I see allies trying to be helpful and they, you know, say the wrong thing and then they get smashed over the head. I'm not right. really a fan of that so much. So I'm really struggling to not be that guy. But yeah. in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm being that guy right now because it's like, you know, you go so long being ignored and even criticized to like, yeah. all of a sudden everybody loves you. It's like, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot to take, take on. Yeah. And I yeah. wish there was like a real life, like forward, <laughs> whatever. It's like anytime you have to confront this, it's like, and forward to your like white friends or whatever. Like, it's like that hashtag on Twitter, settler collector, you know, when people are being like anti-indigenous and, and being fucking horrible yeah. and then they'll tag in settler collector. So it's like, Oh, so that people who are, you know, dealing with this directly don't have to. Gotcha. Gotcha. Like, that's, whose that's job is it? Yeah. It's like, come like collect. It's like collect the settlers and get them the fuck off my feed. You know, <laughs> and I wish there was some way to, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like white, they're like, uh, white forward or something <laughs> so that you fucking wouldn't have to, you know, have the burden of having to deal with this at every stage, you know? Yeah. yeah. I wish I could just like, you know, I wish there was like a travel voucher or something that I could give you like for when it's safe, when it like after the pandemic to just fucking like skip town and go to some beautiful destination for a little while and just get a break you know yeah yeah you know i anyway i'm like i said on the spectrum of things i'm privileged you know the upbringing i had the fact that i was able to get an education come here have a positive life and all that kind of stuff being a man, I recognize my privilege. So I try to not be too caught up in the negative, but yeah, you're yeah. right. It's just, sometimes it's just. This, well, this for your own is. health. I mean, you know, what do you do for self-care? Uh, basketball. Um, I was, I used to, say martial arts but not really not so much anymore but mostly basketball I have to make sure that I sleep regularly I make sure I take breaks generally speaking I, I'm really mindful I really pay attention to my body I really pay attention to my mind and say look it, it needs a break right now so I'm taking a break my yeah. body hurts right now I'm gonna chill for a bit yeah and with the pandemic I haven't been able to play basketball so I've been like edgy, 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 edgy. And then now the courts are open, but you can't really play. So I, I went and <laughs> went by myself. Yeah, you could like go day. alone, but. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I was even craving just just to be able to go and shoot a ball was something I yeah. was missing a lot. 
So I went. The sound of it like bouncing, that like. (laughs) The whole thing was like, felt so good. But then of course, you know, I'm 39. So I blew my knees out just immediately because I got too excited. Oh, (laughs) I feel for you. So now I'm like, I thought I'd be back to the court every day. And now it's like, yeah, I got to wait till my knees are kind of back. Yeah. A friend of mine on Twitter the other day was like, I'm at the age where I wake up and my back hurts for a reason I can't discern. Yeah. It's like, oh, that cuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that's that's my big self-care. And then, you know, I I actively try to make sure that I'm just there for like wife time and kid time. So, yeah. you know, she likes to watch TV. I'm not really a TV watcher, but like, I'll just make a point to sit down and watch 90 Day Fiance or some other dumb Yeah, <laughs> that shit is addictive. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, just to take me outside of being stressed out about things. So Yeah, yeah. Also, it's an act of love for her, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I when the kids were smaller and I was more on the grind with my business, I would just constantly have my laptop open. Yeah, and I realized that was like she wasn't getting that attention from me because I was kind mm. of there, so. right? Like you're physically in proximity, but you're not actually like being intimate just with each other. Yeah, yeah. So like no, even just like, even just like neutrally paying attention to someone is so valuable, right? And so I've I've been making more of an effort to do that. The problem though is I'm not as productive as I probably could be, but. Who the fuck is? This time is unprecedented. It's a literal global crisis. Exactly. <laughs> like, don't, you know, this is what I'm try- trying to tell myself when I'm looking at, like, how much I haven't gotten done. I'm yeah. like, maybe that's okay, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, I should have uh, created an ad for that product. I should have updated my inventory here. I should have... Uh, reached out to this person for an interview I like yeah. I wanted, it's just the, the list is endless I could literally just work 24 7 if I wanted oh god I know tell me about it so and then on top of the work of like caring for children right exactly so and then there's like, nothing left it's like there's no left. space left for just yeah yeah I think that's the thing I need to like really think about is that I need time alone yeah to like be functional in the world Mm -hmm. and I forget that and then as soon as I get it I'm like this is amazing (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know just like listening to a podcast or music or whatever just like sitting out in the yard and and thinking about nothing yep is so valuable yeah it's gonna slot some of that in (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's kind of your thing like just kind of having that alone time where you can yeah Yeah, well, it's funny, even like thinking about, you know, like everything reopening, which I Mm -hmm. guess is starting technically today, um, which I'm a little bit nervous about, whatever, I won't get into that. But um, when I think about like returning to being in the physical presence of other people, it's really weird because the stuff that comes to mind immediately is like being alone surrounded by other people so like there's a there's a bar in my neighborhood that I go to to work and I always get teased because I sit in the same corner with my headphones on Mm -hmm. and I'll work for like an hour or two and then I might have a beer and chat with a few people before going home or whatever Mm -hmm. 
And I was saying to a friend of mine who works there, I was like, yeah, I, we were chatting like, oh, I miss the bar, I miss the bar, whatever. And she was like, really? Because all you do is hang out by yourself and ignore everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that, the same thing at like the local coffee shop or like going out for dinner. Like I like hanging out alone in public, <laughs> as weird as that sounds. Like yeah, I, I like love it. that. It I find it like nourishing, you know? Same here. And then if you want to chat with someone, you can. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I don't have friends or like close friends that I'll, you know, talk with for four hours or whatever, but like that feeds me. Yeah. Same here. Same here. I actually used to go out to the clubs by myself a lot and people are like, how did you do that? But I think yeah. it, I had the same sort of thing. I liked. Yeah. It's like, see what happens. Yeah. I just was, it was like completely like soldier of fortune, whatever you want to call it. Like I'd see people I know, I'd go talk to them. I'd see another group of people totally. I know, go talk to them. Like I was just, I don't know. Like, I, I want to. I think it's good, like, for your character. I I, I did that, too, in my 20s. I remember one of my exes being like, you're just going to go out dancing by yourself? And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. It's good. It keeps you humble. It's like, and it it's, it's like the fastest way to be present with yourself is yeah. fucking go out somewhere alone and just react, like, engage with the world. Yep. You know? And then you get, it's like good footing under you. And then when good things happen, it's like, yes, like you, it's, it's, you know, there are people out there that you can talk to and connect with. And sometimes you just got to like put yourself out there and be vulnerable enough to make it happen. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Maggie, how do you get work as a journalist? Um, well, I, I worked at CBC for a long time as a casual employee. So like yeah. I didn't have a staff position, but they, at the time it was like, they always needed people around and I would just yeah. do any job that was available. So I did that for like a decade. Yeah. Uh, and then I worked in private radio for a little bit. And, and then when the children were really, we like babies, I would do like one radio documentary a year mm-hmm. because of, through like a producer that I already knew at CBC. Yeah. And then, like I said earlier, I just was like, I can't do that anymore. (laughs) You know, like I can't do it. And then I kind of accidentally fell into the specialty where I report on, yeah, like people who have been um, violated, Mm. which I I really didn't mean to, like I didn't set out to do that. Mm -hmm. But now most of the stories that I do are people, like it's really intense, but I'll get an email or a call from someone and they're like, this horrifying thing happened to me. I hear you're the person to talk to, right, right. which, right. you know, on the one hand is like a tremendous honor, right. That mm-hmm. a stranger would feel like they can trust me, you know? And yeah. on the other hand, it's like, Oh fuck, how am I going to like, I got to figure out a way to do this so that I don't, you know, expire <laughs> from heartbreak. Yeah. Seriously. Um, yeah. yeah, but basically that's how I get most of my work now. Or I'll see something outrageous and be like, why the fuck isn't this being reported on? And then I'll do it, you know? Right, right. And then you um, you got featured in Oprah. Yeah, the podcast got a, a, a shout out in Oprah, which was like the craziest like highlight of my career for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, like that, that must have been amazing. Did Did that open up any like new opportunities or was it kind of just like, well, yeah. So the, this is, so the podcast was like doing pretty good numbers, I guess, in Canada when, when it first started, like in the very beginning when we were releasing, you know, an episode per week or whatever last year. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, 
it got mentioned on this American podcast called crime writers on where they have this, like, it's like, it's like, shoot, you've never heard of section or whatever. Yeah. It's like obscure, whatever, you know? And they, and they'd somehow come across it and they were like, Oh, this, I was the like shout out for that week. Yeah. And I think because a lot of podcast listeners listen to that podcast, it kind of like set a little bit of a, a flame for us. Mm. And then um, I, I think that's probably how it, but because after that, it was like the numbers in the States went crazy, mm-hmm. which I wish I could still have access to that. I guess I could just reach out to the production company, but it was crazy. Like even six months ago, it was like getting a shitload of listens per day. And I was like, Oh my God, like that's the cool thing about podcasts is that they're still out there. It's like, it just lives there and you could find it and engage with it at any point in the way that wouldn't necessarily happen with like a print piece. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Right. You know what? I don't want to give any spoilers away, but did you get any backlash from uh, some of the suspicious people involved in the Holly Bartlett podcast? Well, the, there's a pri- there's a big interview that I did with um, someone who was involved uh, for better or for worse with, I mean, obviously it's not for better, but I mean, <laughs> in terms of that word choice. Yeah. Uh, and that was definitely one of the most intense interviews I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't allowed to use the tape in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually just kind of wrote around it. Like I wrote in like Maggie says, this guy says, and thinking that they would be like, this is bullshit. Stop it. Like I fully expected them to get the script and be like, no, you're not doing that. And then they kept it in. So I was like, okay. So I just like transcribed what he said and what I said and then, re- and then read it. Right. Yeah. Um, I've never had contact with that person again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't drive. So I take a lot of taxis and I will say that for a long time, it was like, it was always on the back of my mind. Anytime I got into a taxi, like, yeah, is it, it going to be this person? You know? It's insane. And like, yeah, the fact that people like, yeah, the perception of who this person was and then finding out the, their responses in the interview was like, had me on the edge of my seat. And it was like, wow. I, I, I had trouble sleeping for like, I want to say like three weeks after that, the first few days after that interview, I was like in another dimension. And it was tricky because the executives who in fairness, like made this project happen, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't really understand the gravity of like what he'd said. Like when I hung up, I like leaned back from the chair and everybody was in the room, like watching me conduct this interview, which I just forgot. I like got in the zone and was like fully engaged. Mm-hmm. And then after the, somebody stood up and said like, Oh, well, there's nothing new in there. And I was like, Oh yeah. My jaw was on the floor, <laughs> you know, like there, cause there were a bunch of new details that he hadn't, that I hadn't seen anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And then in the end, the, yeah, well, I guess I, yeah, I probably shouldn't spot <laughs> But yeah, no, I haven't had any direct, um, you know, like bad feedback or whatever. I guess there's like reviews every now and again where someone's like, Rar was extremely biased in her reporting. And it's like, well, I, I don't know if that means that saying like this was improperly investigated and we're going to try to do a good job, then Mm -hmm. yes, I stand by that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. 
yeah, that the way it got pieced together at the end, I was like, whoa. Now that makes sense. The initial story that the police came up with, I was like, no, mm, something's yeah. not right. But and that, this is the other like lobe. It's like, you know, all bodies of authority in this province have built in, I mean, racism, number one, like, mm-hmm. you know, the history of this province, just yeah. like I do. Uh, and then yes, misogyny, but also it's like, they're, I, and I'm wondering if this is the next big thing that we'll be able to sort of understand better as a society, which is like the ways in which people with disabilities are discriminated against. Yes. Yes. And that it's like not really a part of the conversation. Yeah. Even to date, like, even if you think about, you know, serve, for instance, like the government, the federal government checks that are, and there are, there are disability rights advocates who are like, what the fuck? We've been fighting for this for decades. Just have a baseline income for people who, you know, it's like, if you have a severe enough condition or disability, then Mm -hmm. you cannot work and have your medication covered, which is like, who came up with that? Like, if you are able to work and, and if you're resourceful and, you know, um, like willing and and clever enough to come up with solutions that work around your, uh, limitations or your interests and your strengths, then why wouldn't the government support that? Like, why wouldn't you want someone who wants to work to pitch in as much as they possibly can while also making sure that they have the medicine that they need to survive paid for? Like, it just seems so obvious, you know, but I think that even like I caught myself saying that something was lame the other day and I was like, Oh my God, Mm. I gotta stop that. Like it's, or even the other one, you know, on the note, looping back to transphobia for a second is like, or misogyny or whatever is I'm, I still say like, Hey guys. Oh yeah. You know? Me too. Me too. And, it, yeah. and to me, it feels gender neutral because yeah. that's how fucking old we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you just yeah. bought it hook, line and sinker that it includes everyone. Yeah, you know, guys are the default and women are the, uh, yeah. The and even my little girl the other day said like, Hey guys, Hey guys. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> right. right. But that stuff is just, it's like it's built in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We all have to unlearn me. Like, and that's the other thing why I empathize too, because I definitely had things that I had to unlearn and things that I'm still unlearning and working totally. on. So I, I try to have some grace with people when, if I can see them trying. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's it's when people are continually just ignorant, willfully ignorant, then I'm like, you know what? If they flame you, they flame you. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like, whose job is it to hold that person's hand? Yep. I mean, I've been criticized for that. It's like, why don't you just take a lighter touch? And I'm like, because you can fuck off. <laughs> you know, like, especially when it comes to <laughs> you know, questions of like, misogyny or you know homophobia or transphobia or whatever it's like I'm not you know I mean maybe that's it it's like if it affects you directly like I'm bi so you know part of me is like I don't have like the well is dry I'm not I don't have the patience to really get into a like you know 40 minute conversation with someone that I don't know or about like why trans rights are, are valid and should be unquestioned. You know what I mean? Yeah, like if you don't understand, the, fuck you. Yeah. And the cost is too high for me. Cause it's like, it's too close to the surface. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if 
on questions of racism, for instance, and I don't want to sound like comparing them is it's because mm-hmm. they're not, it's like completely different, you know, like uh, islands or something. Yeah, yeah. But um, if it's not something that affects me directly, I think about it differently. It's like, okay, well, I have a duty to like stand up and try to, and try to, you know, pitch in and, and um, do my part because mm-hmm. it's not costing me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not hurting me to have this conversation, even though like I'm fucking shattered at what's happening in the world, but it's not, I'm not targeted. So it's yeah. like, okay, then I will invest in this conversation because mm-hmm. it's my job. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Cool. So if you have any <laughs> advice for an aspiring investigative journalist, what would that be? Mm. My advice would be trust your instincts. If there's something that you feel like needs examination and acknowledgement and needs to be better understood than it is, Mm -hmm. don't wait for somebody to give you permission to start looking into that. Even if you don't know where your piece is going to land, like if you're already a journalist and you're thinking that you want to do a bigger, longer investigation into something, Mm -hmm. maybe this is terrible advice because it's really hard to get paid for this work for like the time that you put in. But if you feel like there's a story that isn't being told that needs to be told, fucking do it and trust your own gut. And don't be shy to like seek out mentors, ask for help. Anytime anyone has ever reached out to me, be it like former students or journalists starting out or people that are in like similar, but different careers, like adjacent careers, like documentary filmmakers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they, they, if they have questions or they want to sit down for coffee or whatever, I'm like, yes, it's always a huge yes. Because I, I would want, you know, I had so many people that stuck their neck out for me and answered my questions and and gave me suggestions and, Mm -hmm. you know, but if you, yeah, that would be my advice. If you feel strongly about a story or a voice or an issue that needs to be looked at, fucking do it. And don't wait for someone to give you permission, just do it. And then you'll find a home for it later. And if you're at that stage and you're confused and you don't know what to do, you can contact me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, that's great advice. Uh, you know, Art Pays Me is a passion project for me. And it's the thing that got me the most fulfillment slash notoriety the name <laughs> I've done. You know, it's like, yeah, it was just something I felt I had to do. Yeah. Not because I thought I was going to, be successful i just had to do it so yeah it had to be done yeah you have anything next that you want to promote anything coming out hmm i do but it's in the really early stages Uh, so i'm working on two stories right now that will come uh together at some point in the future (laughs) i'm being super big uh but in the meantime i do a little bit of work with love with leave out violence nova scotia Yeah. Or they're not leave out violence anymore. Actually, it's just love Nova Scotia. They've rebranded, mm-hmm. but um, any white listeners that want to make a meaningful contribution to like the movement to protect and honor black lives and the, their inherent rights. That's a great organization who like work with, uh, you know, oppressed and disenfranchised kids and, and they really commit to them. So yeah, I would definitely give them a plug. Love Nova Scotia on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that. Okay. How do people find you? Uh, just my name on Twitter. It's Maggie Rahr, R-A-H-R. All right. 
Maggie, thank you for taking the time out to do our pays me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for like enduring all my interruptions and questions and shit. It's been really nice. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to be. This is the first time we really had a conversation, actually, other than just. Like, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Next step. Hang out in person. Yes. <laughs> when it's safe. <laughs> you know, what's funny, though, like this podcast is actually in- increasing my friend circle. So I, I, I have to love it. for Calendar school. <laughs> <laughs> no room on the dance card. <laughs> no, no, I would no, I wasn't even saying it that way. I'm just, I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, no, like yeah, it's nice to be like meeting people who are on the same wavelength, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's been it's been an honor. Thank you for having me. Cool. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, you too. Good luck out there. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for listening to the Arcade Podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.